Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. Apologies, I recorded a show tonight with Mark Dumont, but we had we were besieged, besieged by tech issues from OBS, recording with a delay on the audio that we tried to troubleshoot, and then we recorded and audio cut out after we were finished, and Mark has a bunch of responsibilities for Montreal Hockey now. So this is going to be the first ever solo show in uh, Game Over Montreal history. Mark's not going to be able to join us tonight, unfortunately, but that's how things break. So let's talk about this game by the Montreal Canadiens. But before we do, let's just get out of the way with the start of the show here. Uh, think you know what way it's going to go. Make your bet with Sports Interaction. Whether it's hockey, football, or basketball, Sports Interaction has you covered. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets, like Cole Caulfield possibly scoring 50 goals this year. He's up to a pace of 49 again after scoring a lot relatively recently. And uh, Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. You want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. 19 plus, please play responsibly. All right, I want to talk tonight about a few different things. First of all, I don't want to dump on Sam Montembeau. I don't think the second goal is the, the, the Islanders score is one that really should go in on an NHL goaltender. You can't let leave rebounds there. But he shut it down the rest of the way. He gave the Canadians a consistent chance to win in a game where they were hilariously outplayed in terms of puck possession. But you look across the rink at Sorokin, and what he was able to accomplish and the shots that he saved to keep the Canadians out of this game. And you just see the different standards between a backup goaltender and a star goaltender in the NHL. Sorokin was just brilliant. You know, what it took to beat him one time on Nick Suzuki breaking the goose egg there. It was it was an incredible play by both Suzuki and Drouin, who has been fantastic lately. I believe he's up to six points in his last six games. So uh, Jonathan Drouin, got to hand it to him as well. He has really come along in terms of his power play uh, play. The first time the Canadians tried him out at the point didn't go so well. It was a little bit tentative. He couldn't really get his shot off. His, his shot was weak when he was shooting. Now his shot's getting through the net. He's sneaking things through. He's making great plays with the puck. He's dictating play from the top there. What you want essentially, he's not hogging the puck. He's just distributing quickly fast decision-making, he's making the power play look dangerous, and man, the blue line holds that he's accomplishing right now, it just wasn't there at the beginning of the season. So he's settled into that role. I think so far this season, he's the best player at the top of the blue line there that they've tried on that five-man power, five power play, five-forward power play, whatever you want to call it. He's looked better than anybody else so far, to me. Uh, along with Duran, big shout-out to Yelonen. Uh or Yulinen, I guess is the proper way to pronounce it. He has looked like an NHLer. Uh, I don't think he should get sent back down to Laval. He has come in and played uh, excellent hockey. Every shift that he has, he makes an impact out there. He got some reps with the top line tonight uh, after uh, Kirby Doc was kind of shuffled down the lineup in order to cover for Jake Evans missing. You know, they needed a, an extra center, but he whether it was with the top line or it was with Slavkovsky and Druin, he, they formed a line at a few points during the game. Every time he was out there, you noticed him. Uh, he was making positive impacts, great reads, great physical play, uh, great ability to 
anticipate where pucks were going. And he's got a great shot. Let's face it. This guy's going to rip some goals. He's not going to be a top-line player, I don't think, but he's going to be a guy who can you know, fluctuate up and down in your middle six and get you some goals here and there. I think he should be in the lineup pretty consistently. At this point, to be honest, if they want to keep the Suzuki line together and keep Doc up there while Jake Evans is out, and we'll talk about that in a second, I would consider blowing up the Dvorak-Anderson line just put Dvorak between Armia and and uh, Dadanoff because they continued their good play even while Jake Evans was out. Just give them a center to pivot them and then let Druin, Slavkovsky, and Yulinen play together as your third line. See what happens. They got nothing to lose here, right? Yes, it puts a guy like Josh Anderson on the fourth line. So what? He'll still get minutes playing PK, playing power play. He's advanced his game that way. They're not looking, I don't think, to trade Josh Anderson right now, so they don't need to boost his value. It's it's an idea. I think they should try to run with it. See what happens. And then if you need to adjust, you adjust. So uh Yulinen, I don't I don't think he should go back to the Laval at any point this season. I think you have to see what you have in him now. He's spent a lot of time marinating in the AHL. You know, sending him back down now, you get to the point of is it stagnation. Uh, I know that some people were upset about his goal totals so far this year, but frankly, it's just a low shooting percentage. He's a career 14% shooter, I believe, in the American Hockey League is what uh, Mark said when we recorded this the first time, and he's shooting about 7% this year. That's not going to last, right? He, he's he's a guy who can put the puck in the net. We saw that last year at the NHL level as well. He scored a couple of big ones. So I, I'm not worried about Yolonen in, uh, in terms of shooting. I think that he's going to find his stride and... He looks great in the NHL. I've, I've loved his play. Uh, Suzuki, obviously, breaking the gold drought there. Fantastic. Amazing play from Drew Amazing play from Suzuki. You love to see that. These factors for me all combine to make this a feel-good loss for the Montreal Canadiens. They lost by one goal. They only allowed two. You know, we've had a streak of eight straight where they allowed four or more. That was just broken in the last game against Nashville uh, after they played maybe their best game of the year after being pumped up by PK Subban. So it, it was, it's nice to see them playing competitive games, right? And like, yeah, by the underlying numbers, not really that competitive. <laughs> the Islanders own the puck most of the time, but I will say the Islanders shot a lot from the perimeter in this one. I thought the Canadians battled pretty hard. They have some obvious glaring weaknesses that allow them to be exploited by a team like the Islanders. You know, the the defense is young, and the veterans they do have are slow. So against teams that forecheck with, you know, uh, aggressive uh, intent, like this team, like the Seattle Kraken, they get run around. And then they get caught running around in their own zone, and, and mistakes happen. So that is just a natural thing for this team. They're not a team that's built to compete with every team in the NHL right now. So it, it, you take your lumps, right? You take your wins where they come. You you look at things with an eye on the future. And I, I think this is a loss that they can, you know, in general kind of be proud of. Uh, other than that, obviously there's the Jake Evans injury. Uh, Mark and I talked about that a fair amount on the show earlier that we recorded that didn't uh, record properly, but uh, it looks bad. The, the wince that he gave, like the full body recoil, bending the knee from the side, it's not great. It looked like a long-term injury. It reminded me of when Caden Gooley got hurt. So hopefully it looked a lot worse than it was. 
but it's possible that the Canadians are going to be without Jake Evans for a while because, and that and that that just really sucks because Evans was playing his best hockey of the year. He really dragged Armia and Dodonov, not kicking and screaming, but let's say they weren't super into the games and and pushed them into this current good play that both of them are having, right? And credit to those two that they continued to play well after Evans went down. So it's not like they were their good play has just been a function of Evans driving everything. They continued to play really well, had some really solid shifts. You know, Armia out there battling for pucks. Dodonov, I thought, was the most creative tonight that I've seen him in a Montreal Canadiens jersey. He was trying to find good passing lanes. He had a lot of, <clears throat> sorry, a lot of fight for loose pucks, which he usually doesn't have. So these veterans, they're uh, maybe starting to play a little bit harder. Uh, other than that, Mark and I took some questions. I just want to go over some of the answers that we gave because obviously Mark and I have different, um, uh, not approaches, but like, uh, yeah, I guess approaches. You know, he was, he's been more traditional media for the last few years uh, than I have been. So basically Mark was using his uh, his insider voice a little bit to give some answers, but we got asked uh, who were our top three prospects in <clears throat> in the Montreal Canadian system. We both had Lane Hudson and Owen Beck one and two. I had Joshua Wah number three, just based on how impressive he was at the World Juniors. Not in terms of point production. I, I strive to not base too much stuff on the World Juniors, but just based on what I've heard from about Joshua Wah and the criticism of his game from scouts, the fact like the intensity is not super high. He settles for bad shooting positions because he can score from there in junior. Doesn't use his teammates very well. Doesn't seem super engaged. I saw a totally different Joshua Watt in the World Juniors. I thought that he was phenomenal. Uh, his intensity was driving the team, frankly. He was probably the most intense guy on that team. Him and Logan Stankoven and, of course, Connor Bedard. So loved what I saw from him. Two-way ability. I, my my opinion of him went from he's a long-term project for the Montreal Canadiens to I could see him cracking the team very quickly. I, I just, I loved to see how much uh, of a, I mean, for lack of a better word, how much of a shit he gave on the international stage, how hard he pushed every shift and how impactful he was in big moments. It was a very good tournament for, for uh, Joshua Wall. And Mark picked Sean Farrell, who is basically the forgotten prospect in the Montreal Canadiens system. He is... You know, everywhere he's gone, he has produced a ridiculous amount. People forget that, you know, it, it wasn't a best-on-best best tournament, but he played for Team USA <clears throat> at the Olympics last year, and he scored six points in four games as a 20-year-old. Like, that's not nothing. That kid is good. He is going to be very good. He's currently got the second-highest points per game in the entire NCAA, playing for Harvard. I believe he leads his team in points, yet yeah, by two points over Alex Laferriere, who is a prospect for the Los Angeles Kings. Five points more than Matt Coronado, who is the prize prospect of the Calgary Flames. And he leads them with 10 goals as well. There's a four-way tie for 10 goals there. He's just, I mean, actually, he might have more now, because I don't know if Elite Prospects is updated for tonight. And I know he scored an absolute beautiful goal, uh, absolutely beautiful goal tonight uh, for Harvard as they beat Colgate. Uh, Lane Hudson and Owen Beck, you know, we've talked about them all season. Lane Hudson has that, like, sky-high potential that he could be a uh, number one incredible offensive guy. And Owen Beck has 
the highest floor of any prospect drafted in recent years. He's just too smart. You know, his his game is complete already. It's only going to get better. And now that he's producing offense at the same time, it, it's really, really impressive. You know, uh, Mark also said that he had talked to his parents. And the reason why he got traded this year is they don't expect him back in junior next year, which tells you a lot about an 18-year-old player, that they don't expect him to come back as a 19-year-old. That means... He's pushing to make the club next year. So that might be uh, <clears throat> something that could soften the loss of Sean Monaghan around the trade deadline for a lot of fans who uh, want to see the Canadians play a little bit better. And uh, other than that, I think we had talked... <coughs> Sorry. We had taken a few questions from uh, from people and we were talking about... Uh, let's see here. I'm just Sorry to have the dead noise here, but... Uh... Let's see. Will the Habs trade more than one defenseman in the next seven weeks or so? That was a question we had. Uh, We talked about Joel Edmondson specifically. The possibility of um, a trade of Chris Weidman, which we thought were both pretty unlikely. Like, you could maybe find somebody who wants Chris Weidman, but the Canadians signed that two-year contract for him for a reason. We think that he's going to stick around as a veteran guy who doesn't complain about anything. You know, you can basically spot him in whenever you want, scratch him whenever you want. He's a good influence on the young kids. He's a good teammate. All that stuff, and he's cheap. He fits, right? And Joel Edmondson, Mark, said that uh, basically every insider has said it's going to be a first-round pick, and there's speculation that it might be a 2023. That, to me, seems crazy, depending on the team. If it's a team like, uh, you know, Carolina or Washington that are pretty much guaranteed to make the playoffs. Sure. Actually, I don't know if Washington's guaranteed, but uh, close to it. The Eastern Conference is getting close to set. But those teams kind of make sense for a 2023 pick. It'll be lower in the round. They're not too concerned about it. But uh, Edmonton? If Edmonton trades a 2023 pick for Joel Edmondson, uh, uh, stop. I mean, listen, do it, but you're not guaranteed to make the playoffs. I would not do that, Ken Holland, but actually, you know what? I would do that, Ken Holland. Got to advocate for the Montreal Canadiens here. Uh, And you know what? Joel Edmondson, as much as he's been terrible this season, I have to say, I don't think the Joel Edmondson that we're seeing is the regular Joel Edmondson because... Even if we accept that, you know, Jeff Petrie carried him for most of his Montreal Canadiens career, which I think is in large part true, playing with Jeff Petrie, (coughs) Joel Edmondson played a simple game. He made quick decisions, deferred to his partner for the most part, but he could also make a breakout. When the puck was on his stick, you could trust him. You can't do that right now. So if Joel Edmondson gets put into a system where he's just another guy instead of on the top pairing, you might see his game recover a little bit. You know, a fresh start, right? Where you've got something to play for. I would not be surprised if Joel Edmondson goes somewhere and everyone like kind of makes fun of the trade because, you know, the Sherratt trade was just last year. And then Edmondson plays pretty well and becomes a somewhat decent factor in the playoffs because unlike Sherratt, Edmondson has a semi-decent track record of playing decent hockey. Sherratt is just, uh, it's not good. It's not good. But that trade is beautiful. All right. uh, I think that's all that I'm going to do tonight because, frankly, it's tough to do these by yourself, and I've already recorded it twice. 
and I got to go to bed. So uh, thanks for joining me for Game Over Montreal. It's going to be the shortest episode in the history of Game Over Montreal. <laughs> uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow right away. Mark will be back on for that show. We'll be joined by Andrew Cohen, who is the uh, legal advisor for the Marshall Project. Big time guy, Andrew Cohen. He was on a couple times last year, once with Julian, once with I, or once with me. And uh, if that show is not live, then the next one will be. Uh, we are tired of, or I am tired of recording these things and then posting them on YouTube after. It's like the quality of the show is fine, obviously, but I miss interacting with our regulars who tune in for our streams. And frankly, it takes more time for me <laughs> at the end of the day. And the numbers haven't improved. So we're going to go back to going live right after the game. You don't have to stay up late to, to see the upload, and uh, you'll enjoy it with us. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Game Over Montreal with Andrew Berkshire. Please like the video and subscribe to SDPN. <clears throat> Click that uh, bell, and we'll see you tomorrow bright and early because uh, it's a 5 p.m. start. So we'll be live at around 7.40, 7.45. See you then. Game Over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook.